Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated, and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Today on our podcast, we hear our sermon from this weekend, the first Sunday after Epiphany. We are beginning a new teaching series this week called Transformed Communities, exploring through the book of Acts the ways that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, transformed the communities around the disciples. Our scripture today is from the first chapter of Acts, verses 6 through 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why would you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Thanks for listening. Let's get growing. As you may have noticed, there are some changes around here, around the church. We no longer have some Christmas trees up, right? And we no longer have the Christmas tree forest out in the atrium and here in the sanctuary. And we have some new decorations, some different decorations. And we also have some different colors. The white, what was the white fabric and some white lights is now green. You may notice the green stoles, the green on the altar, and even some of the green lighting that Rich has done for us here in the sanctuary. And this is to mark something. This is to mark the changing of seasons. And you're like, pastors, we're still in the middle of winter. We just had snow. In the church, we count seasons a little bit differently. The church year starts in, in Advent. So it usually starts the last weekend of November or right around there. Is the first of the year for the church calendar. And this is something that Christians have been doing for centuries and for even up over a thousand years. They've been marking time by the life of Jesus. And so Advent is the new year, and we went through an Advent series, and we had a particular color, and it was blue. And then we celebrate Christmas, and that's 12 days. It's not just one day. It's a season. And we celebrate Christmas, which the color is white, all the way up until now. And now we're moving into a new season. And this new season is a little bit different. It's what we call ordinary time. And it means that there's, we're not marking any significant events um, through Scripture. It's kind of a general time. Oftentimes during this uh, season, we go through books of the Bible, and we teach out of whole books of the Bible, or we teach through other teaching series. And so now we're kind of moving away from these high seasons where we look specifically at the life of Christ and things happen, and we start talking about different parts of Scripture and celebrating different elements of the story. 
And this is going to take us all the way up until Lent, which is another very important time of the church year. So we're moving away from this kind of Christmas theme, this Christmas tradition, and we're moving into a new teaching series. So this is the first week, and this teaching series will take us all the way up to Lent. And you may notice it looks a lot like a teaching series we did before Advent. Before Advent, we went through a couple of series, one called Transformed Hearts, and another called Transformed Lives. And we looked at the Gospels and how as Jesus interacted with people in the Gospels, that their hearts were changed, their desires were changed, their decisions and their thinking was changed. It was transformed. We talked about how we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. As our hearts and our desires and our will and our decision making is changed, therefore we are changed by that. So we talked about how Jesus transformed hearts. And then we moved on and we talked about now when people are transformed within them, something happens outside of them too. Their whole lives are transformed. And so we kept walking through the Gospels and we saw how people's whole lives were transformed. People who were possessed by demons and they were hurting themselves were then transformed and healed of those issues. People's bodies, as they heard the word of God from Jesus and as they received Jesus and his promises, their bodies were healed too. We heard about how their lives were transformed. Not only their hearts and their decisions, but also their behaviors. The things that they did and how they interacted with people were changed because of what Jesus did. And today we're continuing that thought. And since Pastor Ben has taken over lead, and as he was preparing to uh, take lead pastor, the lead pastor position here at New Life, he's been spending a lot of time praying and thinking. And then as I came in as the new associate discipleship pastor, we've been praying together for you guys and asking God what you guys need to hear. And this word has bubbled up to the top. And that word is transformation. And it's kind of become our theme. Uh, for the staff. It's become the theme for Ben and I as we talk about teaching, as we talk about ministry. The crux of what we're trying to do is transform people. As people meet Jesus and as they experience Jesus, things change. Something happens when they meet Jesus. Consciences are cleared. Lives are changed. Pain is healed. Addiction is healed. Something happens when people meet Jesus in significant ways. And so we're continuing on this process of talking about transformation. And the next logical step when we talk about transformation is after hearts have been changed and after whole lives have been changed, something else happens. Which means, and what happens is that all the things that I do and all the things that I touch and all the people that I interact with and everything that I put my hand to is also transformed because of the transformation that has happened to me. And this stems from a a commission that Jesus gave his disciples. And we read it in Matthew 28. And I forgot to change this. It's supposed to be 28, not 18. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this. And Jesus came. This is after the resurrection. Jesus came and said to them, the apostles, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is one of Jesus' last words 
in the Gospel of Matthew. This is after he's resurrected. He gets all the apostles together. And this is the commission that he sends them off with. This is the mission that he sends them off with. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make people who follow me and act like me and are obedient to me. And how do we make disciples? We baptize people. We give them new life. We give them transformation. We baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we teach them to obey. We help them obey every command that Jesus has given. This is the mission of the church. When Jesus sent off the apostles to go and build the church, he did not say, make sure you form really good committees. He did not say, make sure you form really good leadership teams. He said, go and make disciples. That means everything that we do here as a church needs to accomplish that goal, making disciples. And a disciple is just a student. And it's actually, uh, it's more hands-on than a student. So one phrase that I like, uh, that I've heard before and that I really enjoy, is that churches are supposed to be Jesus dojos. Supposed to be places where we go and we practice the obedience to Jesus. We go and we practice the teachings of Jesus. And then we're sent out into the world. So everything that we do as a church needs to fulfill this mission, that we make disciples. So I said it when I interviewed here, that churches are supposed to be disciple factories. They're supposed to be places that disciples are made, disciples are crafted, disciples are manufactured, and then sent out to make more disciples. And this command is uh, re-articulated, and may, it might be the same command, just worded differently, in the lesson that we heard from an Acts. And this is what Jesus told the disciples in Acts. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you hear that? That's a pretty similar command. Go make disciples. Go be my witnesses to all the earth, to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus, as he sends off his disciples after he's resurrected, he gives them this pattern that the kingdom of God is supposed to expand. It starts in Jerusalem, which is where the disciples were when the Holy Spirit came. And then it spreads out to Judea, which is the region that Jerusalem was in, and all Samaria, which is the region next door, the state next door, all Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So as Jesus sends out his apostles, as he sends out the disciples, there's this kind of expansive nature of the kingdom of God. And if we think of it another way, Paul, St. Paul uses the, the phrase family of God a lot. And what do families do? Families multiply, and they grow, and they expand, and they move, right? This is the natural progression of things in the kingdom of God. That you start in Jerusalem, it expands, it expands, it expands, it expands until the ends of the earth. And we see this pattern in how we're teaching this series. Because if my heart is changed, then my life is changed. And then the next logical step, if my life is changed, then what's going to be changed? My family, my neighborhood, my community, my job, right? The places that I interact with people, the places that I do work, the places that I love and live, those things are naturally going to change. So we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about how Jesus transforms communities, whole communities, through the power of the Holy Spirit, because it's the next logical step. 
You've experienced the power of Jesus. If you've experienced the promises of Jesus, your heart is changed. Then your life is changed. And then eventually your community is going to be changed. It's the next logical step. So let's jump into our text for this morning. So when they had come together, that's the apostles, right? So this is after Jesus is resurrected. They've experienced the crucifixion of Jesus. They've buried him. And now he's come back to life. And they've had this amazing experience with Jesus. They, they understand him as the son of God now. They recognize that he has overcome death. He's overcome sin and the devil. And that he's the man, right? He's the Messiah. He's it. He's the real deal. So they had come together. And they asked him. God loved the disciples. They don't, they don't get anything. They, this is what they asked him. Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, in the disciples' minds, they were operating out of a particular framework of the Messiah. And we, we heard some of that in our lesson from Isaiah this morning. Because see, in their mind, they believed that when the Messiah came, that the Messiah was going to overthrow the Romans, overthrow the ruling authority, and was going to reestablish Israel as the predominant kingdom, the predominant nation in the world. And that all the other nations in the world were going to come under Israel's rule. That the Jews were going to be rule, rulers, and they were going to rule over the rest of the nations. And all the nations were going to be blessed because of their benevolent rule underneath the king, the Messiah. So that's what they're asking here. Lord, is this the time when you're going to give the kingdom back to Israel? Is this the time when you are going to overthrow the Romans? Is this the time when you are going to reestablish the throne of Israel? They were asking a question and they were assuming that Jesus was going to do all the work himself and that they were going to be beneficiaries of it. They were going to get to experience all the good things that come along with Jesus's work. And this is what Jesus, how Jesus responds. He replied, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the father has set by his own authority. So Jesus pretty much says, don't worry about it. Shrugs it off, right? You don't know anything. It's not for you to know. Don't worry about that. And then this is what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see what Jesus does here? He totally flips, flips it on the disciples. The disciples asked him, Lord, is this when you're going to do this? Is this when you're going to accomplish this goal? And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria. And this is an important thing for us to note. It's an important thing for you guys to know. And uh, I want to just say this very clearly because it's something that we miss when we read scripture. That our God is a God who wants to partner with his creation. Our God is a God who wants to partner with his creation. And we see this all the way back from the beginning, from Genesis 1. After God creates the world, he's the ruler of the world. He creates the sky and the earth and he sets the stars and the moon and the sun to rule the earth. And then he, or rule the skies and then he sets all the animals in the earth. And then he places two humans on earth, in the garden. And this is what he tells him. God blessed them, the man and the woman. And God said to them, 
Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion, have rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves along the earth. You see, God had just finished creating all things. And then he puts humans and he says, you're in charge. You're in charge. And so this is why, in case you've ever wondered why, maybe you haven't wondered. I wonder some of these things sometimes. Why we have families, like why that's an important part of our life, and why people are healthier when they're part of healthy families is because we're designed to have families. God actually designed us for it, to be fruitful and to multiply. We're actually designed to do that. And we're actually designed to have dominion, to have rule over the earth and rule over the animals and rule over the creation of God. And this is why humans naturally organize into families and into neighborhoods and into societies and into governments. So this is what we call uh, the theological term for it is culture making. That humans are meant to be culture makers. We naturally want to organize ourselves in governments and societies and cultures. We naturally want to do this, and it's actually part of God's design that we do this. That's why it's not bad to be involved in local government. That's why it's not bad to be involved in federal government. It's because God has actually designed us to rule. He's designed us to have dominion. And here in the Lutheran tradition, we have the two arms of God, the arm of the church and the arm of the state. And they're both from God. They're both given to us from God, and they're both designed by God, and both designed for us. And so this is called culture making, and this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to organize ourselves and love one another, treat one another well, make our neighborhoods better, be involved in our local government so our towns can be better, so our communities can be better. We're supposed to be involved in state governments so our states can be run better and not have five ex-governors in jail, Right? We're supposed, to be, we're supposed to do this. This is good things to do. And it's actually part of our job. It's part of our calling, which is why we call this specific thing vocation. As a pastor, I hear this a lot. Pastor, I just don't know what God wants me to do with my life. I'll hear that. I work a dead-end job. I work at, maybe you're a floor worker at Wall, or you work at a, you know, a retail store here in town. I just don't know what God wants me to do with my life. And my first answer is always, God wants you to do whatever it is you're doing right now. And he wants you to do that thing with excellence. Do it really, really, really well. And that is your calling. You may not like your job, but it's still your calling. You still have found yourself there. God has still brought you there. Your vocation, your calling, what God wants you to do is do what you're doing really well. And if he presents you with another option, another job, that's fine. When God, when people ask, I just don't know uh, what I'm supposed to do with my, with my kids. I don't know if I'm fulfilling what God wants me to do with my family. And you know what I tell people? Be a really, really, really good and generous and loving parent. That's what God wants you to do. You see, God has placed us in these situations and he wants us to rule over those situations well. He wants us to do those things with excellence. He wants us, he, that is what we're called to do. And see, here's the confusion. 
is that sometimes we put pastors or missionaries or leaders up on a pedestal. And we say, that's the ideal Christian life. And then the rest of us are just living off of what they're doing. I pay the pastor to pray for me. I pay the pastor to study the Bible for me. I pay the pastor to go visit the sick and to minister to the hurting for me. That's the idea that sometimes we get. Maybe you guys have that idea, maybe you don't. But that's the idea that we get sometimes, is that the missionaries, the pastor, the leader, they're the ones who are living the Christian life well, and then the rest of us are just trying to get by. And we just don't know if we're living the Christian life well. But I'll tell you what, when Jesus sent off his disciples, the apostles, and he said, go and make disciples, what Jesus was not intending was that every Christian be an apostle. There's only 12 of them. There's only 12 apostles. And as the church was expanding and growing, there was only a handful of leaders, of pastors, and of teachers, right? You can't have a church full of pastors. You see, Jesus knew as he sent out the disciples that the normal, good Christian life was not going to be lived by apostles, pastors, teachers, and leaders. Instead, it was going to be lived out by normal everyday Christians. Which means this work of vocation, of doing what God has given you to do well, is what God intends for the normal Christian to do. That is God's intention, it is God's design, and it is good. And you can know that God approves of what you do because you do it with his love. Because you do it obediently to him. You do it with obedience to what he has called you to do. Working well, working hard, and doing God's work means living your life as a grandparent, a parent, a brother, sister, floor worker, teacher, whatever. It means doing those things with excellence and doing those things as if you were doing them to the Lord. Because here's the deal. If we have amazing pastors, but crappy mayors, guess what? Our community is not going to be very good. If we have the best Bible teachers in our churches, but we don't have good teachers in our public schools, guess what? We're going to have bad communities. But it actually glorifies God when we do our work out in the world well. When we see ourselves as God's missionaries and his witnesses to the world, by doing the things that he's called us to do well, God is glorified. When communities flourish and do well and the poor are taken care of in the communities, God is glorified by that. It's a natural extension of what God has done for us. And so the issue is this. And I was talking to Rich last night, or yesterday afternoon, and I said it's an issue of congruence. You guys know that word? It means that we're aligned, right? We're congruent with something. If God has forgiven us, if God loves us and has lavished on us, as Ephesians 1 says, every spiritual blessing from heaven, that's a promise that God gives us. Every spiritual blessing is promised to us. If God's love is lavished upon us, and then we turn around and we nag our kids because we don't get to see our grandkids enough, We're not doing our vocation well. That's incongruent. 
with the love of God. But if we love our children and we love our grandchildren as God has loved us, that's congruent. That's being a witness, which what is a witness? A witness is somebody who speaks and proclaims something they've seen or experienced. They witness to something they've seen or experienced. If you've experienced the love of God in your life, if you've experienced the forgiveness of God, but then you hold unforgiveness over your spouse because they said something wrong or they did something wrong, that's incongruent. You're not doing your vocation well. If you've, if you've received the lavish love of God, the generous love of God, and then you run your business like Ebenezer Scrooge, treating your employees poorly, guess what? That's incongruent. You are not doing your vocation well. If you've been received the, the, the love of God that seeks you out, if you've been prompted by the Holy Spirit... And you're not willing to go to your neighbors who maybe their grass is too long and their music is too loud and invite them over for a meal. Guess what? There's something incongruent with your life. It means that you have not appreciated or fully received the promises of God. The transformation happens when we fully receive God's promises, his grace, and then we are witnesses to that by doing our work well by working hard for our employers, by working hard for our employees, by teaching well in our schools, by serving well in the thrift stores and the other services, service organizations in our community. That is doing God's work well. And that is choosing to do my vocation well. And that is being living in congruence with the promises that I've received. How do I be a witness to Jesus? By doing my vocation well by leading as Jesus would lead, by serving as Jesus would serve, by speaking to my spouse and my children and my neighbors as Jesus would, by loving my neighbors as Jesus would love them and how Jesus has loved me and how he has loved you. We witness to Jesus in the kingdom by loving others and doing our vocations well, which transforms our communities. We have a fantastic opportunity here in the Sauk Valley area. We have a fantastic opportunity because we have a community of people who most of them, their parents or grandparents went to church and they know a little bit about the faith. They may even claim that they believe in God, but they're totally disconnected from Jesus. They're totally disconnected from his promises, but they know about him. We have a fantastic opportunity with our actions and with our words, to witness to Jesus and to help people experience Jesus by doing our vocations well, by loving well, by serving well, and by leading well. And that is the call of Jesus this morning, to go and be witnesses in Sterling, Rock Falls, Dixon, and the whole Sock Valley area, and eventually to the world. 